0: Getting better isn't easy, but it's a whole lot easier when we can do it together. Welcome to Better Together with me, Maria (laughs) Menudos. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome back to Better Together. When you know better, you get better. Our quote of the day, if I've learned anything, it's to live in the moment. And the gift that cancer gives you is, you just assume I'm only here today and I'm going to seize that moment and cherish it. That is from Kathy Juisti, our guest today. Kathy Juisti is a gangster, and I'm going to tell you why <laughs> in just a moment. But first, thank you for joining us here on Better Together. Steph and uh, Stephen are here,
1: S&S. s we here.
0: Uh, before we get into it, I want to invite you guys to become members of our Patreon we are slowly migrating everyone over because we want to make this an ad-free show and also i want to be able to do things like use youtube clips <laughs> <laughs> that youtube won't let me use so that i can <clears throat> excuse me inspire you with some clips that inspire me every day i can't i'm limited here everybody i'm limited <laughs> so please join us it's also very helpful for you to support the show you can support us in any um, way that you can, it can be as little as $5, but we are so grateful. And, um, and we're building a community and we're building, um, the show. And so we want to be able to keep bringing you this amazing content. So click the little link in the summary, join us. Steven, um, will remind everyone that, we um we do like to be um admired and <laughs> admonished. So thank you for the comments and the, the ratings. So you know, give us a little five star rating if you think we deserve it. Yes. Um send us a little note in the comment section, tell us what you think. Our Facebook group has been amazing. Our um comments on iTunes, wherever you want, you can comment for us. But first, welcome back to Better Together, and thank you guys for joining us. Of course, we want to invite you to become Patreon members. We are trying to make an ad-free show. We can only do that with your help. If you click the link in the summary, you can support us in any way that's feasible for you. But there are a lot of things I'm limited to not able to do here, so I would love to have the opportunity to share inspiring clips with you that YouTube won't allow me to do on the normal show. Um, so if you can join us over at Patreon, um, we've been seeing everyone joining. We're so grateful. And, um, if you can come too, we'd love for you to join us. Yes. In the meantime, I met Kathy Juisti, our guest today. Sometime last year, I spoke at the Multiple Myeloma Foundation event. It was a beautiful charity event in Chicago. And little did I know that I was signing up to meet... A badass woman, like she is a badass woman, um, she and I'm really is. I'm so obsessed with her, and I think you will be too. Whether you have multiple myeloma or know anyone who has multiple myeloma, that part is just kind of the side entree, because what I think you're going to be most interested in is the fact that this woman was diagnosed with a disease that was deadly. She had small children at the time Mm -hmm. and was not supposed to live. And she figured out a way to crack the healthcare system and beat the odds, survive, and then help others survive. When she created a business model around finding um, new breakthroughs and medications and such, she looked at it like a business. And if we applied this model to every disease, we would be so in such a different place. Um, the healthcare system and and nobody would be dying at the rates that they're dying. So if you are someone who is passionate, if you're that person who's walking the 20K for breast cancer or or you know, your your mom died of, you know, uterine cancer or ovarian cancer, or your dad died of prostate, cancer, Listen to this episode because you might be the next Kathy Juisti. You might be that person that is going to stop, follow this model, take it into your own hands, and come up with solutions like she has. I mean, she has changed the rates for multiple myeloma, 40% improvement in five-year survival since she started pioneering these new techniques, Three times the patient life expectancy. I mean, they've tripled the lifespan and improved the five-year survival for people with multiple myeloma. Tom Brokaw was a famous multiple myeloma um, patient, and um, and uh, he was he spoke at the event, I think through a video, but. Um, she's just the most remarkable woman she's like at harvard study. yeah
1: she went to harvard business school and at the time it was in the 90s she was diagnosed they gave her three years and now we're in 2020 and she's thriving yeah and it was so cool to research her and she'll talk about it but uh, they had no research so she's just like f it i'll Mm -hmm. do it and then started this multiple myeloma research foundation yeah and now and then and she's what i like is she just says what it is it's research and discoveries come where money goes so the only way to do that is to approach it like a business and then now she's just changing lives so cool
0: yeah can you just see like how speechless i am yeah i just think that somebody like her is like she's like a nobel prize winner to yeah me. that's what i was thinking of this morning when i was getting ready and like kathy should win like a nobel prize
1: yeah I, <laughs> I can't believe i haven't heard i've heard her name but i don't didn't know exactly the staple mm-hmm. she's made. Cause I think people see multiple myeloma, which is pretty rare disease. Um, one in one thirty two, 132 people will get it in the United States. Um, but it's still, there's not a lot of research, but that's not, I think that's where people lose sight of how big what she does is. Mm-hmm. It's not just about multiple myeloma. It's about every disease. She's flipping the way we approach it.
0: Yeah. So, Without further ado, as Steph said, Kathy was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, rare blood cancer in 1996. She was told she couldn't couldn't expect to live more than three or four years. Two years later, she started the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation. She cracked the healthcare system, beat the odds, and advanced research and treatments like never before. Life expectancy for many patients has doubled, as I said. She's a true boss when it comes to leadership and treating your healthcare with a business mindset. We're going to learn so much from her today and where we are at with multiple myeloma and her foundation today. Here's Kathy.
1: Hey everyone, it's Kelsey.
0: And Jeff, and we are here to tell you a bit about our partner, Anchor. We know that you're a fan of this podcast, and maybe you have thought, hey, It's time to make your life a little easier, and to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there, this little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. I want to make a podcast too. Well, we have great news for you
2: guys. We want to tell you all about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast for a few reasons, but to start out, it's free.
0: Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer.
2: Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more.
0: Plus, you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make
2: a podcast all in
0: one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do it, you guys, and enjoy the show. So, Kathy, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. All the way from Chicago. <laughs> Although you're just a human plane at this point, I feel like. so.
2: I do travel a lot. <laughs> Always on the road.
0: So I was explaining to everybody before you came that this is so much more than even multiple myeloma. This is about, first of all, we called you a gangster, so you know. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) and a badass um it's the fact that you were diagnosed with something that was deadly they had given you three was three or four years three three years to live and you were like nope not accepting that oh and hold on let me create a business and figure out a way to change this for everybody not just me so you saved your life and now you've saved so many sins And what I was saying to people, because multiple myeloma is a smaller, it's a rare blood cancer, I was hoping to inspire the other Kathy Juistis out there (laughs) that will take this on in their respective illness, breast cancer, glioblastoma, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, if they use your model, they can have similar results. So I'm going to remind everybody of that. But first, I want to hear your story. So from your mouth, you were diagnosed in 1996. Set the stage. Where were you at? I know you had young children at the time. I was 37. I was living outside of Chicago.
2: And I distinctly remember putting up the Christmas tree with my husband. And we literally were looking at each other saying, we're here. Like, we finally made it. We just bought our first new home together. Our little girl was 18 months old. We had jobs we loved. And it was incredible, like to a point where we noticed how incredible our lives were. And then it's three weeks later, and I'm taking the tree down and putting the ornaments away. And in that time span, I'm now wondering if I will ever open that ornament box again. Or am I Going to die before the next Christmas comes around. So, in that three week period, Oof. just you know, I'd gone in for a routine exam. We were trying to have another child, and in order to get to a fertility expert, I had to go see my primary care doctor. He drew a blood test, and amazingly, um, he noticed a high protein and anemia, and those two things helped him to know I might have multiple myeloma repeated the blood tests, and then he sent me on to a hematologist-oncologist, did the bone marrow biopsy, and then they looked at me and said, we're really sorry, you have this horrible blood cancer, and right now, most people living with this disease only last three years. Oh, my God. I have the chills
0: all the way (laughs) up and down my
2: body. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. I mean, I knew my father had been through cancer, He had renal cell carcinoma, and I had, you know, gotten him through his cancer. Um, And I knew how much progress, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry at that time, so I knew how much progress there was being made in different diseases and certainly oncology. But then all of a sudden, I'm reading this one. And remember, there was no internet back then. So Mm -hmm. I'm literally with my husband on the, the, you know, floor of borders and I'm flipping through Harrison's (sighs) internal medicine, looking for this crazy disease and I'm reading and then I keep seeing incurable, incurable. And the more I'm reading, the more crushed I'm getting, thinking I didn't just get cancer. I got this uncommon cancer that skews older male African-American and that has been neglected for decades and decades. And then, of course, when I tell my mom that I got diagnosed with this after she had just been through my father's kidney cancer and him passing away, um, she said, your grandfather had that. Yeah, so my grandfather had the same thing. Is it genetic? Well, we don't know. But I have to say, I'm pretty biased to believe that many cancers are genetic and you don't have all the Mm -hmm. huge epidemiology studies to tell you that they're genetic. But I think there's always a genetic predisposition. But the funny thing is, remember that I ended up getting multiple myeloma and I have an identical twin sister. She got breast cancer. Mm-hmm. But our grandfather had multiple <coughs> myeloma and our grandmother had breast cancer. So I just feel like you have a genetic predisposition, but environmental things happen along the way and you end up on a distinct path toward you know, getting
0: cancer. That's so interesting. I'm thinking about my family. We joke that if you split the car in half, like left side has diabetes, right side has brain tumors, right? Right. But like my dad's for type one diabetic. My brother became type two and then turned into type one. I walk the line on prediabetes and fight it really carefully right. and watch my A1C level so I don't go in there. Yeah. But, and then my mom and I both got brain tumors, but our brain tumors, they've said is like lightning striking, that they're not um, genetically connected, but I have heard a few rare other cases where it's parent and child, child. with the same thing. That So you never know. Right. Um, which is
2: why you say, you know, everybody should be aware. Everybody should look for every opportunity for prevention because, mm-hmm. you know, I even say this to our children, you know, there's five cousins between my sister and me. And they all say, geez, we do not have good genes in this family. And you just have to know it and be aware of it. Well, uh, who was it in your family that got breast cancer? It was your... Identical twin sister.
0: Okay. So is she still with us? Yes. Yes. Okay. Three cups of green tea a day helps stop recurrence. Did you know that? I did. Of, of course, course you listened, know it. I
1: did. I did. You listened to our episode? You listened to Dr. Funk. Yes. Yes, yes. I
0: did. Dr. Christy yes. Funk taught us She's that. Ama-
2: By the way, she's amazing. She is
0: amazing. She is amazing. Not yeah. only
2: what she does as the surgeon, but also the whole nonprofit side was incredible too. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh yeah, we need to connect you guys. you already know yeah. each other? No, no. Oh yeah, we should connect you guys. You should guys. come to our, the Cancer
1: Kicking Summit in April with, we're going to oh, be hosting yeah. a Better Together live show there. Really? Yeah, it's her,
0: yeah. It's, it's Dr. her event. Yeah. You should come. I'll send all you the right. info. Okay. And oh, I'll put it in the summary for
1: all of our listeners too.
0: That's so fun. Okay, so you get this horrible, horrible news. Three weeks after you're being so grateful, this does I not know. feel like the energy that we discuss every day. We discuss, like, put out the good vibes, good-feeling thoughts, keep attracting more good-feeling thoughts. And you're like, I put them out and I got slapped in the face. That. So, But here's the thing. Don't you think it was meant to be that it was you who was so grateful and who had so much to fight for and that look at what you've done? Well, you do look back
2: at your life and sometimes wonder, was this meant to be? My background was absolutely perfect to take on what I ended up doing because I was a patient. I had experience in the pharmaceutical industry. That's what I was doing when I was diagnosed. I was running worldwide operations for a pharmaceutical company. And so when I started the nonprofit... Um, basically, I didn't know how to n- run a nonprofit. I'd never been in that sector. So I ran it like a business. So I think in many ways, looking back on all that we've accomplished, I would say it probably was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I mean, nobody so... ever says, oh, I'm so glad I got cancer. But I think, you know, as you would say, you live your life the best you can. Yeah. And if somebody gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And you have to say, this is what I got. Um, And I'd love to tell you that I was so brilliant to put this entire plan together, but really at that point when I was 37, everything I did was because I had a one-year-old little girl in that crib and I'd go pick her up and think, I've got to do whatever I can to stay alive. And I think that's a little bit of the incentive was um, I just wanted to be there to see her go to kindergarten. That That was like the first goal, and if I get that far, I'll think about the next one. So it
0: was very sequential. Crazy, crazy. So you get diagnosed and your doctor tells you you have three years. At what point did you decide you were going to create a foundation or how did all of this come to be? How did you, did you start researching multiple myeloma? You started researching it, I know, on the floor with your husband and you were (laughs) seeing incurable. What was the next step for you?
2: Well, what ended up happening was, so I was still at work. Now I had to go to this job, this career that I had built all around me in the pharmaceutical industry and worked so hard to get to. And now I have to go in and tell my boss that, you know, I have an incurable cancer and I'm going to have to leave. And part of what happened was they said, you know, take your leave of absence. And he was a great boss. And he said, we'll do whatever we need to protect you and keep your insurance and and support you in whatever way we can. And during that time period, um, they had a United Way campaign going on at the company. And all the employees said, oh, we want to turn this into a way to raise money for multiple myeloma. But I didn't have a foundation. So my sister, my twin sister, who's an attorney, said, well, we can create a community fund, which is how we got into the nonprofit sector. And everybody from Searle, the pharmaceutical company I worked, ended up donating. And I looked at my sister. I guess we're going into the nonprofit sector. And then we ended up um, doing an event in on the east coast and the first event we did raised i don't know four hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is unheard of way back then to just pull that off and the community fund said if you're going to be a really strong 501c3 and it looks like the two of you together could do that you need to you know the baby bird needs to move out of the nest and go do your own thing i was hesitant i didn't I, i was like wait i've got a fatal disease yeah at this point i didn't just have nicole i also was pregnant with david and um, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to start a nonprofit, but.
0: While you're it, dealing with a deadly disease and pregnant. Right. But. Trying it, to figure out your own health care. Right.
2: But it all worked out for all the right reasons. And I think starting um, a nonprofit like I was doing back then, where I really understood the research side. So I'm. Um, like a science nerd geek and I just wanted to make sure that we found a cure for the disease and that we found as many treatments as we could to get them into the pipeline and I think my background allowed me to really switch the world of nonprofits from a little bit less of the um, hand-holding to more of the let's understand the research. All
0: right friends let's talk about something we all do snack.
2: And understand the role patients can play in providing their tissue, their data, all those things, so that we can find new therapies for these diseases that have none.
0: How did you go about doing
2: that? My sister started the 501c3 with me as the nonprofit. Um, We both at this point were living in Connecticut, and we started raising the money. And then I knew from my experience in the pharmaceutical industry, you have to find the key opinion leaders in your disease. And
0: What's a key opinion leader? A
2: key opinion leader is just like um, in breast cancer. It's like whoever is the leading surgeon. Okay. This would be whoever is the leading multiple myeloma <laughs> clinician, whoever was doing work in stem cell transplants. It could be whoever was in the pharmaceutical industry, although at the time there were so few treatments. And I would just sit with them and say, okay, we need to get together and say, if I can raise money where should the money go on the research side to make a difference in this incredibly deadly disease? And so the scientists and myself, and I was very comfortable doing this because it's what I did in the pharmaceutical industry, would sit down and say, okay, here's the challenge we have. Example, we don't have access to patient specimens, meaning your tumors, the bone biopsies they take when you actually get diagnosed with myeloma, that tissue Is so precious for Mm -hmm. them to do their research. So then I said, well, can't we create a collaborative tissue bank? So I brought the centers together and I said, you can't just have your own tissue at your one center. We need in this disease that is so uncommon to create critical mass. We all have to play together or we will never find a cure. So I got all the centers to bring their tissue to one center at the Mayo Clinic and we created our own tissue bank and today it has 4000 different samples wow. that scientists can use and then we said okay
0: wait before you move on from yeah. that so so if i had multiple myeloma and they took tissue from me instead of them testing it at each individual clinic they sent it to your Mayo Clinic's bank yep it got tested there i get my results but you guys now can give the rest to the researchers exactly holy gangsters and then Amazing.
2: It, it really, it's so, what people don't understand, especially in uncommon cancers, which every cancer is getting more and more uncommon. because you can take a breast cancer and break it down into, you know, triple negative, estrogen positive, whatever it's going to be. It's the same thing in myeloma. What we have found is it's not one disease, it's many. So you need all of those samples. The samples are precious, and um, and you need everybody working on them together. So what really happens is at the centers... They always want to have their own bank and their own data. Mm -hmm. But what we did was we put a level over top and said, you can have some of the tissue, but we all have to have a unified effort. And then we would decide together, how are those 4,000 samples supposed to be used?
0: Like a board would vote? A
2: tissue board, yeah. Like you have to send us the questions you want to answer. The team prioritizes those because, again, they're so precious. You have to be careful
0: how you use them. So here's my question. And I only know this from the glioblastoma world. It's the yeah. same thing, right? Like brain surgery is the most expensive surgery exactly. you can have. All There's so much competition. Everyone wants to be the first to come up with some big drug or solution because they'll make the most money. So how did you get the institutions to give up that ability to own that tissue and potentially be the ones first- market.
2: It really, I always say that it takes, you know, three things. You have to have the strategy, the leadership, and the money to get these new business models done. So I listened to all of them. They were the ones telling me they needed access to tissue. They needed that to understand the basic science of myeloma, just like glioblastoma, which is another great example. And so I said to them, okay, the strategy then is, I will help you. I'll handle all the project management. I will decide where is the tissue bank going to be. I will hire the team that comes in and writes the standard operating procedures of how to bank tissue. I'll figure out how we work with all FedEx and getting everything shipped. I'll handle all of that in the project management, and I will also pay for all the staff and everybody to come into this tissue bank. So you you have to create business models where you're putting it over top of the academic centers and making it so interesting for people to play with you that they don't say no. Mm. And I think that's the trick of of creating business models to make the science move faster. And your comment on glioblastoma is such a good one because imagine how hard it is to get those samples. Yeah. That is brain surgery. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not as if a clinician wants to go in and keep doing that to a patient. Nope. So imagine they even wanted to follow you over time. Imagine how hard that would be to do. In multiple myeloma, they can go in and do a, a bone marrow biopsy. It's not fun. You know, they stick a needle in the in your back and they drill and they pull it out and but you can you can do it and you know, you can get sequential samples and learn a lot about the biology of the disease. But I think these models become, the business models are exactly how you started this, which is they, you can replicate them. We put them out there. The MMRF is the leader in this space because we want everybody to see what we do and we want people to follow us. I mean, we're way beyond a tissue bank now. Now we do so many other things, but um, we really do want people to to follow. And glioblastoma is tricky because there's so many of these tiny, tiny organizations. Mm-hmm. And creating one that has the central focus that everybody could collaborate with is often the challenge. In myeloma, because I think we've done a nice job, we don't have lots and lots of myeloma groups. There's only a couple of us out there.
0: yeah. And she says she doesn't think what she did was, you know, that she's some brilliant person. Uh, I, just, Yeah, I'm
1: like speechless. First of all, <laughs> this
0: model needed to be applied. I remember I was um, an ambassador, diabetes aware ambassador for EIF, the Entertainment yeah, Industry Foundation. Yeah. I remember lobbying on Capitol Hill because with diabetes, it affects so many different parts of the body. And there are so many different organizations that could be collaborating right. with each other and the money could be spent more efficiently. And so this really is so important. So I wonder how many people, if you have put out the model, which was another Mm -hmm. question for me is where can someone who wants to be the next Kathy Mm -hmm. go and find the step-by-step on how to do this? Has anyone done it yet? So
2: yes. And I think um, the reason for that is, as you know, I ended up working up at Harvard Business School. So Mm -hmm. now I spend 50% of my time as chief mission officer at the MMRF. And so my job is to say, how will we cure this disease? What's going on um, as we write every new strategic plan? So I wrote a new plan. It's very focused on immunotherapy, data sharing, new venture models. That's what the MMRF team is currently working on. Up at Harvard Business School, where I go every week, Wednesday, Thursday, what we do is we bring in the best, the first, second, third movers across all of cancers and diseases. And we focus on four areas, how to go directly to the patient and we get groups like Uber, Rent the Runway. We follow models like Stitch Fix, like really good, smart people. Reebok comes in and works, the Boston Red Sox. And they help us to understand, like, how do you build a fan base? How do you keep your patients engaged as consumers? Because if you think about it, You know, some of us might spend more time looking for a dress for a wedding than we might researching our doctor, right? Totally. So we're Uh, trying... Well,
0: yes. No, I know for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) It does happen. After coaching as many people as I have through brain tumors, they don't even get second opinions.
2: Right. So that's a whole other issue, right? Yeah. So we focused on direct-to-patient data, clinical trials, and venture models. And we brought everybody to the business school campus, and we watched and followed everything they did. Now what we're doing up at Harvard Business School while we bring those people in is we're taking all of the tools that we used during the last three and a half years and everything we learned across all these leaders and diseases and we'll be putting it in one place underneath the whole Harvard Business School umbrella so that people can go and actually watch what are the case studies that we learned from? What were all the messages that every leader wanted you to have to start a nonprofit? So you literally would go to this site and we can walk you through. You, you actually would see everything that the MMRF did as well. So we're handing those tools over because in many ways we want to democratize the ability to become an MMRF and the best place to do that was underneath the Harvard Business School umbrella where it's, it's all about business. You have to first look and say, what is the strategy this disease needs? Who's going to lead it? You know, you you may be the nonprofit, but who are the other key opinion leaders that are going to help you get through it? And then third, the toughest part is how do you raise the money? Because that's the tough part. I would say the hardest part of the success of the MMRF is it's half a billion dollars later that we've raised wow. for the myeloma field, but it's made a huge difference.
0: Wow well when you think about the getting support for multiple myeloma because it's so rare is the hardest right. when you think about breast cancer i mean you've got the entire nfl wearing pink i know you know you've got susan g komen you have all these organizations that for sure to do anything else it is incredible i love it frizz free up your schedule with way go to the way t-h-e-o-u-a-i.com and enter the promo code heal squad for 15 percent off any product that's the way t-h-e-o-u-a-i.com promo code heal squad trust me you won't regret it or have tons and tons and tons of money um the american cancer society um it seems like there's plenty of money for a lot of these bigger diseases that could be using this model.
2: Very true. So the bigger diseases can definitely use the model. What what we have found, I know this sounds shocking, but as someone who was so business oriented and having come from the for-profit sector, I never did anything without a plan. Like if you don't think through where do I want to be in three years and take the time to write it down and then say how much is it going to cost? You know, who do I need to help get it done? Like you would never go to, you know, a venture capitalist without your your plan. Mm -hmm. So I'm always writing those. What we did find, you know, by being up at Harvard was most of the organizations, a lot of them don't have strong strategic plans. They know how they want to go about raising money. They know who they might be talking to, but you really have to know where you want to fund the science. Because if you're talking to everybody in the scientific space or the data space you're learning where the best opportunities are and then you're asking people to fund the best ideas. You don't want it to work the opposite way. Mm-hmm. And so I always try to say to everybody, you've got to you've got to embrace the science. I think what's hard is a lot of organizations are run by people who have amazing passion and they really believe in the disease and they may have a family member that's affiliated with it and they've great urgency. They don't always have the business savvy mm-hmm. and the discipline to actually bring the community together. And it's a vast community. When you bring everybody together, it's scientists, clinicians, the payer side, data analysts, every, and you've got to run those meetings. That's a lot, Yeah. but it is effective.
0: Yeah, well, also, I mean, the negative side of a lot of these foundations is all of the money is going into salaries and infrastructure. How have you navigated that with multiple myeloma?
2: So the best thing that we did was, I said, we will not have chapters, and things like that. We are going to be a research organization. The bulk of our money will always go to the research side. And then once you write the plan, you can actually decide where you want to spend your money on your staff. So an example for us is we're now at a point where not only do we have our own tissue bank, we have our own data bank. So we have democratized the ability to sequence patients' genomes. The data comes in. It has to be highly protected, in our data hub. So there's no way we're taking that on without a chief data officer and a team of really good data people that understand the privacy side. But in addition to that, we also run our own clinical network of 20 centers that have signed agreements with us to do phase one and phase two clinical trials. We've done over 80 trials, but now we hold the IND, which is kind of like you're really running the trial. I would never host a clinical trial and we're running it, you know, every detail of it without a chief medical officer. So when I say we have to raise a lot of money, we have to raise money because we're doing a Mm -hmm. lot of things at the MF. We organize these models, we design them, we build them, we execute on them, and we decide how well they're working and we go in a cycle. A lot of nonprofit groups, and this is this is not a negative, are more funders. They're saying, I'm going to see where the science is going. I like these institutions i'm going to you know put out for grants, we fill those out and then i'll I'll send the money onto to the institutions and that's not a negative it's just we're very unique in how much we do as opposed to just funding
0: yeah, you're doing the the nitty gritty physical lab work and we're
2: paying we're we're bringing the people in that say we know this center can do the lab work they have like in an immunotherapy we may say. We know this space is really exciting for blood cancers. We want to accelerate it. Now, I had to sit down with everybody and say, what, who are the best centers doing immunotherapy right now? What pharmaceutical and biotech companies have the best immune drugs in their pipeline? How am I going to get them to come together and play and even come to the field of myeloma, which in all honesty looks a little crowded to them? They feel like we've had 11 drugs approved. Why do I want to come to this space? We're almost victims of our own success. Mm. And so I'm back to where I started. I ha- we have to make the business model so enticing for them wow. that they want to come and give myeloma their immune therapy drugs. Wow. It's a business game. That I know. It's so hard. <laughs> I know. But it makes me think
1: of. Even Red Cross, like places like that who have such good intentions, but have caught a lot of fire because there's millions of dollars and then they don't know what to do with it. So do you think even with um, different diseases like Alzheimer's, for example, this model would be the most effective? Sounds like it.
2: (laughs) I I do, because here's the problem. What you need to do is to cure any disease, it's all about the samples and the data. Mm -hmm. You have to have a critical mass of data to understand what's going on in that disease. Mm -hmm. You know, what is going on genomically? What's going on in the immune system? You know, what's going on in the microbiome? All of that data has to be brought together. And so what happens is it's not bad intention. It's not bad people. It's a bad system where the incentives are just misaligned. So if you think about it in oncology, what we're saying is, We get that the academic centers need their data to publish. We're not stupid. We understand how that works. But at the same time, we need to find new incentives to get them. We put all of our data at the MMRF in the public domain. They all have access to our data. But we have to make sure that they start giving their data back to answer the most important questions our patients have. I feel the same way so strongly about Alzheimer's. Like all these groups start and they sprout up and they're starting to get some major philanthropic dollars, but are they changing the business model? Are yeah. they dealing with the incentives to force this issue of data sharing? Because you will never accelerate cures until you figure that
0: part out. I think it's similar in any business. The data is the most important part of all businesses. Yeah. So there, that is a crossover. Wow. Um, so when will the, when will all of this be published for people to be able to follow?
2: So right now, anybody, anybody can follow the MMR. If we post anything and everything we do. And I think sometimes when they're even watching, you know, our data models, we'll send out a press release that will say, we're, you know, launching a new data model. Here are the seven partners we're working with you're crazy if you don't look at that press release and figure out who those seven partners are because we have spent five years interviewing partners and making sure we've picked the right one. So I think where we save people tons and tons of time is they follow our models, they see who our partners are, and now those partners are fully up to snuff on how to handle data sharing and doing the things that we do. In addition, we save them time because they can go to their board of directors now and say, I want to do this data sharing model. Here's what the MMRF did. And it's much faster for boards to say, well, then it's probably a good idea. And it's been done before. And so, you know, we'll piggyback off that. On the Harvard side, we've been disseminating a lot of our information across those four work streams. And then by late spring, early summer, we'll literally create a hub where we can actually educate everybody. We're doing the market research on it now. And it's really fun to watch because you know, we're showing people that I haven't really been working with, like, I always work with the first, second, third movers, but we're bringing in, maybe they're a seventh, eighth, and ninth mover that's trying to figure out what we've been doing. And we're showing them what we want to share with them. And they're really excited about it. So I think it's going to be phenomenal.
0: Are you going to take on any other illnesses at this point <clears throat> yourself?
2: Well, um, I think for me, what I have done a lot on the HBS side, is there are a few that we've really kind of stayed very close with. So an example would be pancreatic where Mm -hmm. we work directly with them on the direct to consumer space. Glioblastoma has been super interesting because um, one of the great things about being at Harvard is also working on these venture models. So some of the groups are starting to say, how do I create a venture model where the returns can go back into the organization? So like those are examples where we're working with them. We actually followed a diabetes model to pick our venture model. So I will stay in touch with a lot of these diseases that I've become very good friends with while I've been up at Harvard Business School. And my hope is I didn't step as far into the neurology side. I work do a lot of work with um, Muscular Dystrophy Association. But on Alzheimer's, I think there's a huge opportunity for them just to watch and learn. And I have offered, but I, so far, we haven't really
0: done a lot with them yet. Yeah. So first someone listening, and I don't know why this popped into my head just now, but who makes money here? <laughs> so the, everybody
2: starts to make money and you have to really see where the money moves in order to make a difference and then say to yourselves, okay, so how do we make this work for the patient? So what happens is you've got academic centers that need to show the world Um, pharmaceutical companies, they, you know, develop contracts with them in terms of looking at the science together. Um, They need to show their philanthropists, you know, that they're doing beautiful work and that you should fund them. And often that's through a grateful patient syndrome where, you know, you're a patient, you've been there, they've done beautiful work and you, that philanthropy becomes important. Also, their NIH grants are super important from the government. And then you've got the pharmaceutical
0: and the biotech side. Minus the sweet chili. Right. Where in this situation they've got shareholders, right? So
2: they need to raise the money. They're not always looking at the rarest of diseases, although they're starting to see that you can price things at a certain point and do some work on rare diseases. And some pharmaceutical companies have done quite well with that. There are the biotechs that I think are the more nimble, like in immune therapy, they're really very creative, and then they get bought out by the pharmaceutical companies. So you have to watch how all these different players raise their money and then decide what is your greatest frustration. So an example of this for me is um, at the MMRF, we put $40 million into a study called the Compass Study. And this was a really, really hard study to do. We filed 1,100 patients from the moment they were diagnosed And we collected their um, clinical information and their genomic information, and we did it longitudinally. So we've kept this database for years and years and years. And now, it's many years later, and um, there's been hundreds and hundreds of publications, over 100. And... I'm not sure that it's answering every question that a patient has. I think it's answering questions that academic centers have and that they want to publish on. But at the end of the day, as a patient, we actually did a crowdsource program on this, and their top questions were, should I get a stem cell transplant? Should I stay on maintenance therapy? And if I have a certain translocation, what exactly is my treatment? What should I do? And I think now we're learning you have to put the patient's questions first. Because they don't always come naturally into the ecosystem. People start to work on what is, if you're a pharmaceutical company, what is the target that you're looking for? How does that impact the pipeline of drugs that you want to develop? So everybody has different needs. And mm. I, I feel like for us in my myeloma, we want to be the trusted third party that still brings the ecosystem together and prioritizes these questions. So at the end of the day, we're all working together to answer the patient's questions. I'm a little less worried about what's getting published by everybody and more worried about what's the best treatment for each of these patients.
0: Yeah, because at the end of the day, you still need a cure. You still have multiple myeloma.
2: Absolutely. And I, I say this to our team all the time. I don't wake up every day and say, oh my goodness, I'm cured. I wake up every day and think to myself, oh my goodness, these patients, including myself, if you relapse... What are you going to What are you going to next? Is the data telling us exactly what we should do next based off of our subtype, and is the next drug called immunotherapy going to be available in time for me? I think that's the greatest fear of any patient is thinking i 'm reading about all these amazing drugs going on out there, and yet it 's going to get to trial, and i 'm not going to be able to get to it in time i 'm going to miss out. And in today's world, I will tell you, the science is moving so fast that sometimes if you can buy yourself a year, you can make a huge difference in what might be available to you in terms of a clinical trial, which allows you to buy the next year and the next year. Wow. So
0: what what are patients who are diagnosed with multiple myeloma having to do now and how has it changed since your research?
2: Well, everything's changed because now there's 11 drugs
0: that have been approved. And when I was
2: diagnosed, there was nothing at all in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. So now what we really do is we work with all of these patients to help them to understand. We're trying to democratize their care. And we actually feel like it doesn't have to be so complicated. I think the reason that people spend more time trying to figure out the dress they might find for a wedding than mm-hmm. they do finding their doctors because they get so overwhelmed. It's the science and it, it just, they don't know where to go. So it's scary.
0: It's really scary. And you just want to trust the first person.
2: You do. And and we're trying to explain to people, don't take a deep breath, Mm -hmm. the first move you should make is to see if there is a good trusted third-party organization out there. It can be the National Cancer Institute. It might be that there's a group in myeloma or a group in pancreatic or glioblastoma that you go to. But always when you start that Google search, look for the .org, not the .com, because Mm. you have to start with these simple things when you're doing your research. Um, Once you find that organization, then I think the The three T's that you really have to follow, and again, this gets so simple, but it it, it really can save their lives, is you define the right team. So you went through this, Mm -hmm. you know, who's the right team for your mom and for yourself, And that takes a fair amount of research, but you've got to make sure you're doing all the phone calls, looking at who's doing the writing, who's in charge of the clinical trials, what team is going to be the best team for you. And you also have to balance it. Like if you have to move toward a stem cell transplant in myeloma, you may want to be doing that. And you're a young mom closer to home than further away from home. So, you know, and you've got to look at your insurance issues. So the team becomes the most important piece and you have to get the second opinion. And then you move on to tests, which is, am I getting genomic sequencing done? Any kind of genomic testing, any kind of immune phenotyping done? Do I have all the right imaging done? And you have to fight for it because sometimes they may not be willing to do that PET scan and it might save your life too. Mm -hmm. And then once you really understand the test, now you know your subtype, you know a lot more about your biomarker, everything you need to know. And then you move on to the third T, which is what is the treatment, which is it could be a standard of care In myeloma, we do have a standard of care. There's three drugs that you're typically started with, and they're highly effective, but many patients will relapse. And I think what happens is you have to know your subtype to know when you relapse, what might be the best thing for you down the road. And I think that's where the data play comes in. I have a certain translocation it's high risk, and I'm in a club. I just look at that club. I don't even just wake up and go, I'm in the cancer club, I'm in the myeloma club, I'm in the 414 club, and all I want to know is what did those patients do before me? Mm -hmm. What has worked for them? And I think the more you make these little clubs available to everybody and they all share their knowledge and data in that space, the more we'll start to cure these diseases.
0: So, Kathy, being such a science nerd and being on (laughs) Better Together, where we are, we love science, but we also love um, holistic and um, energy and all of that, how much have you looked into alternative treatments and holistic treatments to be complementary?
2: Everybody asks me this question, and I will say I am completely the science nerd and I stay in that space. But when people say to me, what are the things that I do? And these are things that come up on your show. Okay, every morning back to nature, Mm -hmm. I go for a run every single morning. And part of that is just clear your head and feel really good about yourself and talk about gratitude. If I'm actually there many times, there's too much going on, something happens, I don't feel well, and I'm not running. But on those days that I feel like that, I am super grateful for that. The second one is I really do eat healthy, not as healthy as I should and not as healthy as all of you, I will confess that. (laughs) Uh, um, And then the third, I'm neurotic about sleep. I'm just neurotic about it. I'm in bed every night by 10 p.m. so How me many and Ari- hours? me and Ariana Huffington can go back yeah. and forth on this all the time. Um at least 7. It always has to be at least 7. Yeah. But I'm I'm super neurotic about it. And then I listen to you and I think, "Oh my gosh, if I could I I don't have I, I don't have the discipline yet. It's one of my things I have to get better at." <laughs> and so we don't we really don't coach it. We're so science tech data mm-hmm. like super nerdy at the MMRF and we really have stayed true to that mission but it, it it's not like I'm in any way negative on the other things I'm super supportive of them and think they play a critical
0: role in people doing well yeah I really do well I think it's um I think you need everything you do. like if we didn't have you we wouldn't have this amazing model and this amazing success right, right. you might not be here today right. if you didn't have you um and, and so, you make me better. See,
2: I think we're, we're a
0: good duo. <laughs> That's why we're better together. Exactly. But I know with my mom, even her radiologist, um, I had a conversation with him two weeks ago and he said, I firmly believe that your mom's success is based on her last trip to Mexico and how you boosted her immune system and her immune system was at such a great level to handle yeah. all of the drugs that we've given her. So now those things could go to work. Right. right. And I was like, thanks I kind of feel like that too but I'm just the layperson, and I'm not a science nerd right. necessarily I just am desperately trying to keep my mom here right um but I do feel like all of the things that we've done that have added to like well you talked if, about it before because I remember hearing
2: on the on the podcast yeah. and you were talking about it you were basically saying listen I listen to her doctors. Yeah. They're telling me what treatment she should be on, but it doesn't mean that I can't also support her with these other things that make the immune system work even harder. Mm-hmm. And that makes perfect sense. So I'm, you know, as long as you're listening to the doctors and they're helping you to know what therapies are best for her yeah. right now, and then you work with them,
0: I think it's it's a good thing. But also if you think about the fact that, you also know yourself better and you know, your patient, your parent, your, you know, whatever. So when I looked at my mom and they said they wanted to give her Keytruda and radiation, radiation to the brain is very serious. And I had a very strong feeling the next day that radiation wasn't the best play for her. And so when I went back to our doctor, my dad felt the same way. My husband felt the same way. I said, listen, We don't want to do radiation. What if we do Keytruda, Avastin to give her a little steroidal effect because she was very weak from the first dose of Keytruda, pretty much paralyzed her. And then we had a little chemo. I said, because I don't think her body can handle chemo and radiation anymore because we're three and a half years in. She's very weak. Um, I think we could do a smidge of it because we know that the body responds to it. What if we create that cocktail? And they're like, that could work. And then if I was like, well, what if we did Truda, Ketchup, and Avastin? They'd be like, that could work. (laughs) And everything I said, they were like, that could work. Because there's so limited information in glioblastoma. So I quickly realized, I'm like, well, if we take a breath, and what I said was we're going to lead with two words, patience and faith. Let's take a breath and try this. We know you can pivot if we have to. Like the fear of time kind of goes away with a little experience Mm -hmm. you know and i think that's where people fail a little bit is when they get diagnosed with something they're like ah i need to do something right now i'm dying and then they just rush to the first butcher and all of a sudden now there's a host of other problems that we have to deal with rather than taking a breath researching the best team putting that team together doing the tests and then the treatments (laughs) exactly and taking the
2: deep breath And sitting there and not letting Google overwhelm you because it can provide good information to you, but you have to know how to use your search to figure out, okay, how do I find the best doctors? And so I think that part of taking a deep breath and saying, is there an organization that can help me? Can I go to the National Cancer? Where can I go? And I think the whole point is to do everything we can to help put patients into these, you know, simple steps that say, just do these things, you know. Right team, right test, right treatment, and take that deep breath, you'll be so much better off. Yeah. And I think we try to really teach that at the MMR. We have an entire call center and our nurses are trained on all of that because we want we want all the patients to call us because we can tell you exactly what center to go to because we know yeah. who sees all the myeloma
0: patients. See, and that's a step that is so important. And we should do this on our social post today. Um, I never thought to reach out to any of these organizations for help. I don't know who has because Uh I've coached so many people at this point and they've reached out to me, right? but they've not reached out to the American Cancer Society or any of these organizations. I reached out to my friends at EIF to help find the best doctors. Yes. So I guess that's the same kind of thing, but it was only because I knew them and have worked with them. Right. So I guess if people have worked with the American Cancer Society and had a contact, they would, but I guess- the uh, The idea for the everyday person that you get diagnosed with something, go to the doctor, fine, but maybe your next call is to an expert organization it should that be. can help you. I would never have thought of that, actually, yeah. and I've been going through this for how long? Okay
1: years now because i think that your your organization does a really good job of putting like personality and a face Mm -hmm. to it but a lot of them you just think it's a business so you're like who could i even talk
0: to yeah i just think they throw events (laughs) i never thought that it was for the layperson to call and be like hey i just got diagnosed with whatever i need help i thought you just go to walks and they raise money and they fund research
2: no, they. I mean, it depends on the organization. So this is another thing. Like we say, go find the trusted third party, but but really look at them and make sure. So you always go to the .org because that means it's a it's a nonprofit organization focused on that disease, and then you have to look at them and say, okay. Are they, do they look rock solid? And there are easy ways to do that. Like you can go right to GuideStar, which is a, they, a lot of these organizations are tracked. You know, are they four star rated? You can look at all of those things. Mm. Other things you can look at, they have to post their financials mm-hmm. right on their homepage. So you, anytime you go to About Us, you'll be able to find all that information. What we found working at Harvard is um, these organizations have amazing good intent. They don't always have, the right team, and the right leadership to make as much progress as they'd like. And I think that's the joy of, I always wanted, after I started the MMRF, everybody would call and say, we want to be an MMRF too. Can you give me this amount of time and that amount of time? So when Robert Kraft and the dean of Harvard said, would you come up here and teach other people how to do this? I mean, the last three and a half years have been an absolute gift for me. You know, Richard Hammermesh and I, we teach executive education. We teach everything on how to cure these diseases from a business perspective. So I think, you know, they're trying to get to a really good place. And I hope that our efforts now will democratize that ability. So... I always hope the MMRF democratizes patient care because we have now opened it up where we, again, with this new program, Cure Cloud, we sequence any patient. You can be black, white, old, young, living in rural America or the city. We will find you, send a phlebotomist to your house, get your blood, and literally sequence you and do your immune testing and put all that into a database. So we democratize patient care, and then we put you on that right track program of the three T's. I think on the Harvard side, what I'm really trying to do is democratize the ability to start an MMRF so that any of these organizations can get off on the right foot and understand like, don't take it lightly. If you're going to do this, do it well, because it's hard work.
0: Yeah. Well, do you see a world in which all of these like breast cancer organizations could come together? Because they're businesses now, even though they're nonprofit, they're real businesses. Mm -hmm right? Because all these people depend on these salaries now. They've given their lives and careers to being there. So how would you navigate that issue of like, okay, we're going to bring everyone together and share resources and be
2: one? (laughs) It's really hard. It's harder to do when the organizations have been around for a long time and they have, they're ingrained in what they want to do and they have their boards and they have their teams and they're off and running. I think where it's easier to make headway is uh, some of the more smaller. uncommon groups and smaller ones that are getting off the ground because they need to be unified. And I yeah. think if you can write the right plan from the beginning and you take it on in the right place, you won't end up with a lot of fragmented um, pieces that and makes organizations. Sense.
0: Probably like the pediatric cancer. Oh, my God. They need help so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Pediatric cancer is so underfunded. And how? When you see these little muffins suffering, I don't know how people how we're all allowing that i don't know so pediatric cancer pancreatic like you said yeah. glioblastoma glioblastoma is a tough these are tough ones that
2: mm-hmm. you know and they but they they can really learn from the models we have because glioblastoma is all about data sharing yeah you won't figure this out without the data
0: yeah wow every time i see you i feel like i'm gonna take the torch and go but I'm yeah like, ah, i'm like this my- is
1: too complicated and scary <laughs> well and hard. you kind of you already you're totally discrediting yourself because you already have I which, like completely so already have What are you apologizing yeah. for <laughs> but you said it in the beginning i feel like this is going to inspire a lot of people i, I can't wait does. to talk to my roommate her mom has alzheimer's and we just went to the walk and it's all these organizations right. but no collaboration yeah. and there's i i We've always talked about by the time it's like 2050, there will be a massive percentage of people with Alzheimer's. Right. So, yeah, Dr. Keith Black
0: is very involved in it at Cedars because his mom had Alzheimer's. Um,
2: I think the more, like, I will tell you one thing I've learned is one thing that happens with major funding is you really good philanthropy with big bucks can force with the right leadership, the ability to force the collaboration, because if it's your funding, and you're saying to these organizations, I will give this boatload of money, but we're going to play and we're going to achieve these goals together, it can make a huge difference. But you, you have to wonder who's going to be that person that decides to step in and take that on.
0: That is actually another gangster way to do it, right? So like if I was like, okay, let's attack breast cancer. Um, you know, Mr. Kraft, you give this much money. Mr. Tish, you give this money. Wh- however it is, right. you just go to them and say, here's this model. Here are all these organizations you guys are funding that is not really making the progress that this has.
2: Alzheimer's is in a good place to do it because they don't have enough progress. They don't know how to get these drugs to market, because it's a really, really hard disease to solve for. So if there's ever a place that you do need biospecimens, data sharing, all those incentives, the things that we've learned in the oncology space, I think Alzheimer's is sitting there ready to really learn. But whoever the philanthropist is and whoever is that decides to take that on, you need really good direct and honest leadership Mm -hmm. that would say, this is how you have to create the incentives." to get everybody to play. Because again, it's never bad people. You know, scientists
0: love you and medical, like doctors, so they
2: don't go to medical school and get their PhDs to say, oh, I don't want to do anything amazing with my life. It's just, the system doesn't, You know, it just doesn't
0: help them. Yeah. Wow. You are a gangster. Thank you. I, I honestly am so blown away. I don't know what else to say. Um, other than if you have multiple myeloma, you can visit the MMRF. Yeah, MMRF.com.
1: No, dot, dot org. Dot org. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't even need to look. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, to I get mean, so information. Used to .com, so you I, know know. I didn't know
1: the difference until you there just said it. There <laughs> you go.
0: I never knew either. So, dot right. org is a nonprofit.
2: Dot org is a nonprofit. Dot com is often a website that's funded by the pharmaceutical company that's just trying to bring you in.
0: Is the American Cancer Society a .com? Yeah. It's It's, a .org. It is? It should be a .org. (laughs) (laughs) Let's look
2: it up. but But what happens is you can find, you know, if something is funded by industry because they do want people to come into their registries and do things It'll be a .dot com. Got it's it.
1: It's a .org. Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. All the nonprofits are dot .orgs, and you can go to Charity Navigator, GuideStar, and places like that and see that's a really you know good what their ratings to are
0: to see how good they are. It is a great tip. Yeah. I think I'm really, really excited to be able to even just share with people the idea that if you're diagnosed, you should be calling one of these organizations because you're going to find a me or a you right. that's gone through it that can help guide you. Like, I'm doing it on the side with people, helping and guiding them and teaching them everything that I've learned. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, your example
2: with um, the Entertainment Industry Foundation, they're phenomenal because Mm -hmm. they have Stand Up to Cancer. So they get calls, and if they get myeloma calls, they just call me. And they'll just say, Kathy, can you... We don't know exactly where to send this person. Can you take them? And so I think they filter, which is great. That's exactly what you want people to do is get them to the right organization to help them for their specific disease.
0: Exactly. Um, Kathy, we always ask everybody, what is the one thing you are doing right now to get better in your life? It can be in any area.
2: Well, you know, it's funny. Um, Everybody said, um, when you start the new year, you should find one word that tells you what you should do
0: this is true. We
2: did discuss this here.
1: Check we these. did a whole episode of listening to the show. Oh, yes. I love it.
2: So I actually, I went through this with my daughter. <laughs> did you? I, I did. I was having, who by the way now is 25. So uh-huh. remember that we started this with, Crazy. you know, she was one and now she's 25 and my son David is 22. So talk about never say never. Wow. And um, we decided that my word needed to be breathe. I just mm. don't stop. And I think part of living with a fatal disease and, Knowing that you know how to help cure these diseases, you kind of take that burden on because you really do see what these diseases do pancreatically, a mastoma, myeloma, doesn't Alzheimer's. They're all challenging. And I really do believe we figured out the business model. So I'm always racing because I want everybody to know how to do it. But then to your point, which I think you're so good at, is the reminder at some point you've got to stop and take care of yourself because yeah. you will run out of fuel. And so Nicole and I decided my word needed to be breathe. And I just I needed to that. just stop and just take that moment.
0: You know, headspace, which I'm trying to do <laughs> headspace. The app has a breathe little, um, segment in there. So you can do a one to three minute breathe meditation. So you can download the app. I did it yesterday. It's just like, they just talk you through breathing so for a minute or two minutes or three minutes um, I think that would be really good for you. All right. I'm going to try that, Maria. It's It's funny you say that because when you walked in, I saw a hologram of a superhero cape. <laughs> as you walked by, I was like, oh, there's our superhero oh cape. Oh, my god! But I do know the feeling because anytime someone reaches out to me, like my friend, I was in the hospital with my dad, had this really bad foot infection. His liver enzymes were elevated at the same time as dealing with my mom, and I was just... Like, you know, okay, we're going to just take one at a time and stay calm. And my friend from college is texting me feverishly that her best friend from kindergarten um, just got diagnosed with glioblastoma and we need help. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I can't even help myself. Ah! But, you know, I took a breath. I said, listen, get me information as soon as you have it. When you get confirmation, I got to deal with my dad right now. But, you know, the next day, you know... You have answers right. and you can help somebody. How That's could right. you not? So I spend so much of my free time helping people right. individually with this because I know stuff mm-hmm. that will help them um, in their journey. And so when you know, you it's really hard not to share it.
2: You feel responsible. Yeah. You don't want them to struggle when it might take them a week to figure out something that you could help them with in ten minutes.
0: Exactly. Especially when it's life threatening. Mm-hmm. So, Kathy, I love you. I love you too. I'm so glad that our <laughs> audience got to know you and that we learned so much from you Thank today. You. Um and yeah, amazing. All right, guys, what have we learned?
1: So much. First of all, the dot org dot com thing, (laughs) because if I ever have to approach a disease in my lifetime with my loved ones, friends or myself, I would not have known that. And I wouldn't have done third party. I mean, maybe because of you, but I don't think the majority would understand like what care oncology does or what MMRF does.
0: Yeah. And also just the idea that these organizations are there for you. To help you, not just to take you on a walk. Yeah.
1: Not just so you can go to the doctor and hear one person's advice. Yeah. Which is what I think a majority of people do. I definitely spend more time on a dress than a doctor.
0: And the different um, places she said you can check on those organizations, like GuideStar. GuideStar.com. And, yeah. So we'll put those in the summary mm-hmm. for everybody as well. Because it's almost like um, I always say to check reviews online, Um Better Business Bureau places just to make sure if you're, like, going to work with them in any capacity. Yeah. I always say you have to check. Have to. Um. So, yeah. Steven, anything? This was a science nerd episode, Stephen, It was a science nerd episode. Mm-hmm. I thought it was
1: really cool. I think it's just – it's nice to know that there are people out there that are like, okay, you guys are doing this. You guys are doing this. You guys are doing this. Where can we all come together and have a mutual goal?
0: I thought you were going to say – you guys are making podcasts. You guys are doing TikTok and I'm changing the world. <laughs> I thought that's where you were going with it, but it's kind of true, right? I mean, bit. yes, it is true. I mean, seriously, what, what an amazing woman.
1: She's incredible. And
0: now you know my, why I'm so obsessed with her. Um, and I think what a great, um, model to follow. So if you are the next Kathy, first of all, If you think you're the next Kathy, I want you to social out to us because I want to know what disease you're going to tackle. And um, if we can be helpful in any way, you let us know. Um, Please share this episode with anybody you think could be the next Kathy. I'm on a hunt. I want to find the next Kathy. I know
1: someone for Alzheimer's.
0: Yeah. Coming for you. (laughs) And, um, And I think anybody who is suffering that needs to hear another approach, other ways to to tackle it, please send this episode to them. Share it with them on social media, via email, whatever it takes. Um, you can visit the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation at vmmrf.org You can stay up to date with Kathy um, at Kathyjuisti.com. That's G-I-U-S-T-I. Um, and of course, please help us by rating, commenting, subscribing, um, and you know. Tell a friend. friend. Tell a friend.
1: Tell a friend.
0: We need like a little drop where it's like, tell a friend. Tell a friend. Yo, tell a friend. Yeah. It's like the easiest friend.
1: way to be like, you need this advice, but I don't <laughs> want to give it to you. I
0: spend so much time every day when I'm talking to someone and they're like, oh, my this is hurting or my that. Oh, hold on. I got something for you. Boom, it's like a prescription. <laughs> Same. Every episode is a prescription for people. I'm like, oh, no, no, you need this. I was with Chris Jenner and I said... She was talking about um, her mom and some stuff she's dealing with with her mom. And I said, oh, boom, you need this episode. Bing! And I like, sent it it's to the her. Best. So um, And Kathy, obviously, has been listening, too, which is very flattering and so cool. So um, thank you guys for being with us, of course. Follow us at Maria Menunos, at Kathy Juisti, at Steph Sabra, at Stephen Lemieux Photo. And remember, be nice people, make good choices, and be present.